the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And on this episode, I was joined by Margot Parker, Deputy Chairwoman of UKIP and MEP for the East Midlands. Good timing because the UKIP surge is back, according to the latest polls. Um, Obviously, we've been trying to have someone from UKIP on this podcast for a while, but the problem was the party has been going mad for the best part of the last year. Uh, To be fair, when I put that to Margot, she did concede that was broadly true. Things settled down in the spring a bit with Gerard Batten taking over as leader. So a few weeks ago, myself and Dr Simon Usherwood, Deputy Director of UK in the Changing Europe, sat down for a chat with Margot, the Deputy Chairwoman of the party, and it was a good chat. We start with some uh, academic background from Simon. His area of expertise is Euroscepticism, after all, so he was a good fit for this episode. But it gets pretty UKIPy pretty quickly. And I say that not in any pejorative sense. If you are Eurosceptic, a lot of what Margot says will tick your boxes. If you are Remain, what she says might infuriate you a bit. But I urge you still to listen and learn. Also, it's a lot of fun. We started with a question that many people have been asking since the referendum two years ago. No, not yet. I think this is as difficult as a challenge as it's ever faced. But the party responds to a need in uh, the electorate. It, it does have a constituency. The question is what that constituency is changes well, over time. To what extent are people attracted to UKIP as a positive thing? I, you know, we agree with what your is in your your policies. And to what extent is it? You know, I don't like politics as it is. I don't like politicians as it is. Uh, so, you know, they're sort of pushed towards UKIP by Well, that. I think they believe that uh, we stand for their values. We, we, we look out for them. Mm. We think it's absolutely right that, you know, people have got to have a chance. They've got to have schools where they've got, you know, uh, the classes are not too big. They've got to have all of the things that people want and have a right to and have been denied through a lot of things that politicians have done and have not been very sensible about. Open, unskilled immigration, of course, put a huge strain on schools. People in my area couldn't get the children, their children into the school of their choice. Even now, I can't get a doctor's appointment four weeks see my doctor. So the strain and the stress, not only on unskilled labour, on the job market, I can't get a job because actually unskilled labour is taking my job. I've had it you know, till mm. I was 40, I can't get a job in the food factory. Mm. My son left school, he can't get a job in the food factory uh, because the the lowering of the wages, the minimum wage, became the maximum wage. You know, people had a tough time and they were literally feeling that. So they were looking for who will speak up for me, who, who recognises my predicament. Mm. Okay, we'll come back to a few a few points. There are lots of good points there to get our yeah. teeth into, but let's okay. just briefly, just on the you're, again, you're the Euroscepticism expert. To what extent are people pushed to Euroscepticism by 
a sort of negative force, i.e. we don't like politics as it is, we don't like politicians as it is, and here is uh, somewhere we can uh, sort of rest our vote. And to what extent was it a positive, you know, we don't like Europe, this is what's driving us towards Europe's skepticism. It tends to be more about a dislike. There's something they, that people don't like about it, but that covers a huge range of things. And, you know, even within UKIP, you yes. know, you've, sure. at different points you yes. see different, yeah. very different okay. critiques that it's too socialist or it's too capitalist or it's yeah. too well. green or it's not green enough. Yes. And that's actually one of the reasons that Euroscepticism has become has been as successful yeah. as it is, is that yeah. whatever the EU is... Yeah. Is something that it isn't, and however the EU tries to respond by moving in one direction, it moves away from another direction. So Euroscepticism is not an ideology; no. it's it's rather a set of practices. So all a coalition, it's not even a coalition because some of the most specific one of the things that got me interested in Euroscepticism was the depth of the antipathy between key uh, activists. And if you if you look back through the history of the last twenty years. You know, uh, let's go back to the founder of UKIP, Alan Skett, yeah. uh, who vehemently disagrees with a lot of uh, yeah. people in the Eurosceptic movement, disagrees with mm. what UKIP does now. So yes. it's not that there's a homogeneity or even a coalition, it's that there's always a critique that you can advance. And uh, again, tapping into that and saying, well, look, the, the, the commonality here is the European Union, so let's get away from the European Union, mm. then gains a value uh, as, a, as a project. But to put it differently, how much of the problems that people identify are going to be solved by leaving the European Union and uh, just one of the, the big changes that I saw in UKIP before the 2015 uh, election even was the party saying well leaving the European Union is the first step mm. that actually there are things that we want to do right. so it's not that we leave the European Union and everything's uh, mm -hmm. coming okay. up roses it's that yeah. There are, you know, that actually your your approach to it is that there are other things we can now yes. do because yes. we've left. All right, let's 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 go over the future first because I don't think we've still got quite got an answer as to what is the point of UKIP now. What does UKIP do now? What does it want now? You know, we leave the EU next year. That's going to happen. I know there are people who have sat in these podcasts and said it's not going to happen, but I strongly suspect it is. Um, yes. What what is UKIP for at that point? What's because obviously the, the point, the focal point has been leaving the EU. So what becomes the, the focal point? What becomes the programme? Yes, it is. But of course, our membership are telling us we're doing surveys at the moment. So we're in depth getting down mm -hmm. to business with our members and we're asking them. You know, what are they telling you? Well, we're waiting for the results to come. It's actually we're halfway <laughs> right. through it. But you're deputy chairwoman. What's your well, feeling as to uh, what are the issues that they're going to want you to focus on? Oh, I mean, of course they want education. They're fed up with it. They mm. want decent uh, jobs. So the sixth largest economy, mm. we ought to be free to be able to trade and do deals with the rest of the world. I believe passionately, a personal thing, and I haven't solved it at the party, mm. is... Uh, you know, uh, trade, not aid with Africa. There's a lot we can do to help mm. uh, the continent of Africa. Absolutely. I mean, the shed loads of people that are coming and launching themselves at the Mediterranean for this utopia of the mm. uh, continent of Europe because it beats the hell out of being in the Congo or whatever. Mm. We've got to do more at grassroots. We've got to do more to educate women. We've got to get women into the economy within Africa. We've got to do the things that are practical. So I'm quite excited to be able to step aside from the EU because at the moment the EU basically 
uh, puts huge tariffs on some of the products and goods coming from Africa because that's what they do. It is a protectionist organisation which hammers, hmm. hammers people. Well, that's you know those days they've got to be gone. You've got to be more practical to help people in a reasoned, reasonable way. So I'd like to see small businesses being able to run apprenticeship schemes with part of uh, third world countries so that we can actually educationally train people, but make it practical as well. Small companies can actually participate. Government can get involved. Mm. So it, it's, it's a bigger picture entirely. Can you, can you trade women into education? Is no, that, it's not a question of trading them. So that requires it's a question, it's a question of uh, giving women education and healthcare because there are certain parts but of that work. requires aid I mean, rather than trade well, surely no to some extent but you've you, you've got to put it in a package you've got to be able mm. i mean there's a world uh, bank report out with the icrw in uh, from washington mm. uh, and i was in the house of Co- uh, lords actually about three weeks ago uh, and and we had um, several people great speakers there um one lady who specifically works in ethiopia mm. um told a, a, a desperate story of a a girl married at 11, so of course they're anti-child mm. brides, mm. Uh, married at 11, uh, you know, 15, 16, uh, mm. a child a year, five girls. Mm. The family say, you've got to carry on till you have a son. Now, yeah. uh, let, me, let me continue. Mm. Two or three people that work in the NHS, in their holidays, they, these are gynaecologists, they, they go mm. out and perform operations mm. to make the lives hmm. semi-tolerable and this young woman with five girls said I want to kill myself hmm. well she realized if she did that who would look after her daughters but the prospect of this kind of backward thinking you've got to educate but it, you've got to educate the men as well yeah. you've got to take care of the health so there is a, a, a rounded package there you've got to think outside of the box you've got to do something better than we are doing so it's a question of where you draw the yeah the scale between aid and trade if you like you, yes you want to move yes. towards further towards trade than we are at the moment it's, it's not about getting rid of aid altogether no no no, no i mean clearly you, that balance. Yeah. you have the situation of ebola uh, well, sure. Of course you're going to have to respond. Okay. Why wouldn't you? Um, let's come back to various things you said earlier. You raised immigration. Um, was that, do you think, how big a driver was that for the Brexit vote? Was it the massive. main the main driver? It, it, it was a massive drive. Massive. Where jobs were not... Uh, and the inequality where um, people couldn't get social housing. You know, if a family arrived from... And I mean, I'm not knocking hard-working people coming from other parts of the European Union because there, there are many hard-working people mm. and, you know, they work and contribute uh, in, into the taxation uh, of this country. However, um, to actually get a house for your family and your children before local people, there was an enormous amount of bad feeling created over that, mm. you know, helplessness. You know, we're, we're, we're at the end of the queue. We're not, nobody cares about us. They don't care about us. To so what extent there jobs, was that? houses, yeah. um, low skill. I mean, we have a lot of people, clearly, you know, the guy that, whose door I knocked on, um, you know, worked in a food factory, mm. could get a job for his son. And then equally, the interesting story was indeed the Estonian lady who lost her job in the food factory, worked there five years, settled, very happy, Mm. absolutely don't want to move very happy good citizen 
um, lost her job because the language of the factory, she tells me, was Polish. Well, well that's bad business, of course, because that means that the management really were not operating, in my view, in a, in a <laughs> proper way. Clearly they weren't. But the experts, oh, hello experts, uh, will say that... They represent the works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, some, I don't know, maybe it's all the experts, maybe it's some experts, but certainly I have heard experts saying that immigration, of course, pushes up wages, creates jobs, is not responsible for any of the things that Margot has just mentioned. Is that is that fair? Is that expert opinion? Or is, the, the, is it more the contentious mis, than The that? mismatch comes from looking at different levels. So when economists talk about the positive benefits of free movement of people, yeah. that is a macro level. That's in, in the round. Yeah. Yeah. The country as a whole it's, benefits from it. What Margot's talking about is the much more micro level. What happens to me as an individual? So I might find that I can't get a job in a place that I might have expected to get a job. Now, in in the rounds, that's offset by all the people who are able to get jobs that previously weren't there. But if you're one of the people who loses a job, then clearly you're likely to feel aggrieved. Whereas if you're a person who gets a job, you probably don't even notice that. You see that there are more opportunities because these people have uh, come to the country, they're contributing, mm. they're spending money, they want more services, so there are more jobs that are available. So overall well, gains and local losses. But, but you know, it's not just the, the, the jobs, it, it's the cascading effect on mm. not enough schools, not enough houses being built. If you've got huge, sure. huge yeah. numbers coming in, how do you plan? Um, the NHS, of course, nobody ever mentions it. The effect on the NHS, it's all down to old people. <laughs> no, it's rubbish. Well, <laughs> but then I suppose the other, the other, but isn't the other side of the NHS coin that the number of immigrants that work in the NHS? Well, of course, that's not, I mean, that's reasonable that you would have skilled people mm. clearly always be. I mean, I can't see there ever being a problem. If you are a nurse or a doctor, and by the way, I, I have a problem with you know, Filipino nurses being poached away from their own mm. country. We should be training. We should definitely be training and upskilling our own people. You know, frankly, I've always thought that uh, if you've got the core subjects, you know, mm. you shouldn't have this massive, great, huge burden of debt that students yeah. have to think, well, do I want this? Don't I want this? I want to be a doctor. Well, I need that. Okay. Well, I mean, there are things you can do. You can say, well, you will work for the NHS for X, Y, Z, or you'll buy yourself out of your contract because you cost the country X amount of money. But let's not stop people with the skills mm. being trained into the jobs, which clearly they can do. But are there enough British people either available to do these jobs or willing to do yeah, these maybe, jobs maybe of course not but then you know it's it's this is it's the it's the unskilled it's the constant deluge of unskilled workers of course skilled people there will always be a job virtually anywhere in the world i'd have thought if you have the skills that the country needs let's talk about where we are mm. and then we'll talk about where you might want to get to mm. um brexit mm. how's it going well i, I think it's awful <laughs> why what's what's going what's happening or not happening well, that you were expecting to happen or not happen i was expecting if you go into a negotiation hmm. you know you, you try to have a you win a bit we win a bit hmm. it, it's you kind of go in with the right attitude but i feel personally that the european union have 
been allowed to hold all the cards, but they don't. They don't. She's seen, I'm afraid, this Prime Minister is seen mm. as somewhat weak. Well, that is because she is. Well, uh, <laughs> they can't. Yes, okay, bank rights. Absolutely, fair point. Fair point. Um, but seriously, um, you know, nothing concentrates the mind other than walking out of the door and saying, I'm sorry, guys, put on the table where you think we ought to be. And of course, they've used it with the Irish border, tweaking the Irish as they would. I mean, this is not a, should never be a deal breaker. This is not going to smash peace in Northern Ireland. This is a, this is ridiculous. Um, it is. How many Irish people, Irish experts have you spoken to and said that? Because oh. they don't like it when you say things like that. <laughs> well, maybe they don't. I, mean, I could say I'm an Irish granny. You know, mm. I'm um, I'm a Celt. I'm a Scot. Yeah. You know, not born in Scotland, but Scots family. Yeah. Uh, I I cannot see. We've had open borders since 1923. Mm. We are extremely well integrated. We really are. Um, I think the EU have clearly thought, aha, here's another stick to bash them with. The Irish are, because they're, you know, they're, they're in the European, this rather nice big cosy mm. club, uh, until it starts to hurt them in some way. What's your solution then to the Irish border well, question? Because there is a question. Of there, course right? there is. And what's well, the answer? The answer is, there is the technology to deal with this. They don't want to accept it. Other border, I mean, for goodness sake, when you look at Switzerland, you know, they manage damn fine. There is the technology, they can do this. You can hold your hand and say, oh, no, it's never going to work. Look, they know because people say what what businesses, what products are being transported about. It's there in paperwork. It's there te- technologically. Hmm. So it's not something that you're going to have to say, oh, we can't, we can't possibly police that border. I mean, you'll know how to control this. There is a way of doing this. But if there is no will to do this, and the EU take them right up to the edge of the cliff, mm. their cliff, not our cliff, um, then I believe it would be quite bad for them. It is interesting, the Irish border question. Why, why has the Irish border question become such an issue? John Curtis will tell you that most British people really don't care about Northern Ireland. Sorry, Northern Ireland, Irish people, but that is what the polling and all the, yeah, uh, suggests. Yeah. Why has it become such an issue on that? Because, you know, most British people don't care about the Irish border. Why has it become this, this lightning rod? It's become like, well, it's an issue for the EU because the Irish were very efficient and effective at lobbying to make it an issue in the first phase of yeah. negotiations because yeah. Brexit has a direct impact on them yeah. Yeah. economically, socially, politically. Yeah. So they wanted it to be uh, right up there. So that's why it comes from the EU's side. Mm-hmm. The reason it's become such an issue is that how you address the Irish dimension in the negotiations probably carries the key to how you then deal with all the rest of the relationship. And you know, so the, the arrangements that you come to on the island of Ireland mm-hmm. then probably carry over. So you, when I go talking about Switzerland, uh, there are implications then mm-hmm. of the, the kind of relationship that Switzerland has with the EU, yes. which include free movement of people uh, to a considerable extent, which might well be an issue going well, back would to be the, an issue. going back to the immigration issue. It would so be an issue. if you don't want to have free movement of people, mm. then you can't have the same kind of arrangement that you have with Switzerland. Mm. 
which then has implications for the border. So again, how you this is, this is true. All but these things. But, but, let's, my head but let's look at the practicality. Let's look at the financial aspect. They they trade with the United Kingdom. It's called jobs. It's called the economy. Mm. Seriously, that I think is where it should end. Are you looking out for jobs and for people? Fine. Yeah. You have the answer. Deal with it. But then, oh. it's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's a very. And they've uh, made it so. You're quite right. They have made it so. The, the difficulty is that there's different kinds of trade. So there's trades in goods, yes. um, where uh, the EU sends more to the UK than the UK sends. No, I don't. No, I, I really, I don't buy that at all. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, what happens when huge numbers of products and goods come from the United Kingdom go to Rotterdam, they never ever touch European soil. They're straight out on the container ships. You know that the Rotterdam which is an effect. Additional, which is an additional complication. Of what course, do you it is. Stuff that's in transit. Yes, but, but it's classed. It's classed as we're selling into the European Union. We are not. It's going to Brazil. It's going to China. It's going elsewhere. They have really underestimated and undervalued that. My answer would be, bang a big container port in Felixstowe. Mm -hmm. If you want to get out and do business with the world, equip yourself to do it. But the other issue is that there's much bigger volume of trade in services. Sure. There isn't yes, so by value. Uh, yes. But services come with people. They and do. so they do. How, how you separate out what's free movement of people and free movement of services. Well, once again, skilled people with permits to work to be able to do the job. This is a highly skilled job. Is it not? It depends on the job. Well, yes, but we're talking about some with financial services. For with financial city, services, et yes. I will discussion about whether they are skilled <laughs> well, during okay. the financial crisis. All but, right. Yes, uh, yes, uh, yes. But again, but there are different that. services covers everything it's from uh, yeah. a plumber and a builder yeah, yeah, through yeah. to financial services sure. to academics to yes. whatever yes. else. So yes. again, the, the, we have these kind of divisions, yeah. but they are to a certain extent arbitrary and they bleed into each other. So mm. yeah. yeah, how you, what was the question? Was the question about- I Arthur? remember. The, okay. the problem is it's, it's getting very complicated. It's getting, getting way above my pay grade, basically. I'm hoping you remember what we're talking about because so you're, you're the. If academic. you think about islands, yeah, yeah, you know, you yes. think about the integration of the two parts of islands. Yes. Hmm. Then that contains elements of all those different yes, parts. So to does. say we're yeah. stopping free movement to people yeah. carries implications then for how you yes. run goods and services there as well. So the, the the red lines that get the UK has set up cause. I was going to say complications, but real problems for reaching a solution. Why don't we just sell Northern Ireland to the EU? <laughs> Instead of paying the Brexit bill, say, there you go, you can have Northern Ireland. That'd be a great idea. This is like the Russians selling Alaska to Yeah, uh, to that the would United work, States. wouldn't it? You know, no Brexit bill, right? You they, they, the the they Brexiteers would be delighted, better. there'd be no divorce bill. Nobody really, like I said, nobody cares about Northern well, Ireland in the, most of the UK. You, they can have it and, uh, and we can all walk away and be happy. The ultimate issue, you can walk away. You can do WTS. Right. Um... Go on then, Simon. Can you realistically walk away and go on WTO, or do planes start falling out of the sky and no, uh, your colleague Anna Menon goes crazy about car parts? WTO well, doesn't deal I? with planes falling. Nothing falls out of the sky. It's that no. nothing goes into the sky. I think is the issue on aviation. Is that if you have a lapsing of uh, safety regulations? Well, well, an Armageddon report so, came out. Wouldn't. So, 
But for it not to, for that not to happen with aviation, then you still need to have some agreement between the UK and yes. the EU. And if you have yes. the UK walking away, then you might imagine that the EU says, well, why should we... But that breaks the spirit within the Lisbon Treaty when it says, if people leave, you must facilitate a good departure. Yes, but Article 50 also says that the country that decides to leave yeah. can't be stopped from leaving. So yeah. having given yeah. a notification under Article 50, yeah. Yeah. the UK will leave on the 29th of March. Yes. The, the EU can't yeah. stop that at all, so it preserves uh, the No, of course, they, maybe the Parliament will vote against it, of course. We've, we've got that shenanigans uh, to come. Oh. <laughs> How long do you want to sit here? Let's not get into the uh, <laughs> yeah, the outcome. What could happen in Parliament? I'm interested to hear what Margot has to say about the European Parliament because actually one of the things we hardly ever hear is that as well as the EU mm. member states and the UK government having to approve a deal, mm. the European Parliament also has yes. to approve the deal, and mm. they've been very quiet about well, that. Uh, they've uh, put Giva Hofstad, um, you know, who's a, a, a lunatic federalist. Um, I mean, he's just. This isn't a man. Are all federalist lunatics, or is he just well, a lunatic? Well, he's habit? a special one. Right. Okay. I mean, the guy goes absolutely bananas. I mean, Farage winds him up, and he has wound him up. There's no doubt about that. He's never wound him that, up as much as he has done, but he has. And he's, um, I mean, he's completely. Uh, I, I don't know what he's on. Sometimes when he speaks, but it's, um, you know, you really need a pint of that before you go in and sit down. And you think, oh. Well, in for the big thing, you know, where they're all going wrong, and they don't have the European army, they don't have this, they don't have that. Really, he wants to just banish uh, the cultures and nation statehood, and it, it's, it's one big <laughs> sort of European Union. That's what it is. I don't know, it may come in time eventually, I don't know. Uh, it'll take a long time um, because mostly people are quite proud of their cultures. I see how important it is. I also see now that uh, other people display their country flags and of course mm. let's not forget what's happening in Italy Sweden yeah. Austria and this is because people have felt very much I don't know um, sidelined you know they, yeah. they have not felt part of this and at the end of the day you know right at the very beginning of the mandate um, uh, the beauty parade of the commissioners how they were selected uh, and John Paul Juncker and Cameron said, well, no, we're not having him. Of course he was going to have him, because he was the German Chancellor's choice. That's how it works. <laughs> it's the European Parliament's please, choice. Please, please, let's get real. Yeah. Given all that, mm? I don't think you answered the question. I probably which didn't. is, <laughs> what's the European Parliament going to do when, it go, when it's faced with the signing of the deal? Will I... It will depend um, how wound up they are. Um, it really, really will. Uh, I mean, they'll take their cue clearly from Barney. I mean, it's, you've got this cosmetic with uh, Verhofstadt poncing around Europe as he does, uh, you know, in, out, here, there. I am the man. So your feeling is the European Parliament is fairly uh, pliable in that if they're told to pass it they'll pass it not necessarily I, I think they probably will toe the line yeah uh, but who knows who will knows you? Will, the, will you get vote for the deal whatever it is well we, we, we did we voted last week to, to move things forward and Labour actually joined us and um, um, the Tories I don't think did so whatever, which is quite extraordinary essentially whatever the deal is you will vote for it no because not because it will get well 
Britain. We have to leave. Yeah. Uh, we understand that. But uh, there are discrepancies in so far as here we are with this uh, protracted uh, leaving, you know, orbiting. I think, as Boris Johnson put it, orbiting the mm-hmm. EU. You know, ha- have it, not having left. You're still paying. You still adhere to everything. You can't go out, by the way, and, and do your deals with wherever. Yeah. Uh, you can't do that. So you're still tied to the apron strings without the freedom. Um, uh, and that will go on to, I don't know, 2022, whatever. And, and so who will represent the British people? Well, it's going to be the, uh, the civil servants. It'll yeah. be a UK rep will be. You mm. know, they'll, they'll put the, well, for God's sake, perish the thought of some of the civil servants. You know, honestly, they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. You know, they, they, I mean, really, who runs this country? But a soft, a soft exit surely has to be sensible in the sense that, you know, I, I know soft Brexit means all sorts of things, but I yeah. mean purely in the sense of uh, some sort of tapered leaving. I mean, you can dispute whether what we've got are going to have is oh. a good idea, but is that not a better idea than just a like, cut and shut the walk European away? Court? I don't think but so. Only for a bit. No, the, the, the worry is that this will drag on and on and on. So we will leave in name only. Does that but worry we, you? Yes. Does, that, does it worry you that the Remainers yes. can make this drag on and even get us back in somewhere far well, down the line? I fully expect them to try, you know, in five or ten years to say, oh, you silly people, you need to vote to go back in. I, I, I expect that. And you've got to respect that, haven't yes, you? Given sure. that you've been sure. arguing to come out for yeah. so long, you've yes. got to expect yeah. things to turn on their head and yes. to be a, yes. a, a remainery UK, whatever they're going to be called. let it be what it says. We right. have to yeah. leave okay. and we have to take control. We have to have our laws made in Westminster. That's what people voted for. They voted to take control of the water, the fish. They voted for control of immigration. They knew what they you voted. Can't take control of fish. We well, you know that. what I mean. You know what I'm saying. You know, it's it's a, it's a nonsense. We've wrecked our fishing industry. You, you go around the country and speak to the fishermen. Uh, you know, and, and as far as they're concerned, you know, they they were thrown out years ago. Well, we could have a thriving fishing mm. industry. Of course, we could. Iceland manages very nicely. I just sort of mentioned the possibility of a. You've studied Euroscepticism. Do you expect mm. to be studying? Euro Romanianism in the years to come. Do you, I mean, have I painted an accurate picture in that we've had UKIP as this sort of fringe group? I mean, I know they're, they're not fringe anymore, but they were yeah. arguing for this, uh, what was initially regarded as a weird and wacky idea, and obviously it moved towards the mainstream. Are we going to have Femi and Chuka out in, what's it called? What's their new party going to be called? Together Now or something? Together Again? I can't remember what it's called. But they're gonna, is there going to be this? Is it going to suddenly flip on its side into negatives? One of the things that's really interesting is that back in the late 80s, early 90s, you saw a real emergence of Euroscepticism as we know it now. So a lot of groups Mm. formed, serious money behind it, media support, friends in Parliament, just Mm. very, you know. And what you haven't seen is the same process in the last two years for pro-Europeans. You've got lots of protest marches, yeah. you've got groups, 101 political parties getting set up that then kind of disappear. Yes, of course, yes. we've already got new parties, haven't we? I forget yeah. about all these so new one parties. Of the thing, that one of the things that you haven't really seen is that same kind of crystallisation mm. and coherence mm. that you, you saw back in the 90s with Eurosceptics. So but that was 20 years after we joined, so, true. you know, it just takes time. Will we get there in time? It's true, but if you think about where we are in the political debate, you know, we're making podcasts and we're... You, 
you know, yeah. everyone's, well, not everyone, everyone who listens to this is deeply engaged in the European issue. The issue is never going to be as present and as poignant as it is now. This is the moment, if you want to mobilise people, at the point of this really matters, you know, you look at the public opinion uh, data, Europe, Brexit is the number one issue by uh, a considerable degree, well, well. well beyond uh, other issues. So if you can't get people engaged and active now, it's not going to get any easier. And it's a, it's a bit how UKIP changed, you know, that, that during the 2000s, the EU became less of an issue, immigration was more of an issue, and the party ramped up what it talked about with immigration. Yeah. So you've got to talk about what people are interested in, yes. otherwise you, you right. get stuck in a niche. I, I haven't had a rammy with uh, John Curtis. I will go up against another expert. Go on, no, actually, isn't the best thing for the Continuity Remain campaign actually to leave the EU, be out for a few years, get an idea of what the consequences actually are, and that's the point at which they can crystallise and start mobilising people because they can actually... Because at the moment, everything's in flux and you don't know what to, to focus on. Whereas a few years down the line, it'll be easier to come up with a focus and start mobilising people and that become Shuka's UKIP. UKIP. You've still got the split in the Tory party and the Labour party. Mm. But you, yeah, it's it's a bit like Eurosceptics don't agree on strategy, yeah. tactics, target groups, whatever... So you can sit, you can do both. It's not that you have to say we all do one and we all do the other. And one of the reasons that Eurosceptics have been a success was they are is that there's always something somewhere going on, and they've been able to kind of keep mm. up the barrage of things. Um, well, Pro Europeans will have if they want to get to that point, then their activities now matter. What happens in five years matters, but it's cumulative, and sometimes opportunities present themselves to. To do these things. We've gone um, full circle, haven't we? We're back to that question of policy versus people. The, the continuity remain need their own Farage, somebody better than Chuka, somebody who can actually do what Farage has done, and that might be a some years down the line. Although I still think Chukip's a good name for a party. Chukip's. <laughs> I Chuka's Independence Party. Chukip. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to pitch individual, that. Individuals, individuals matter. Leaders matter, but. They are not nearly the whole thing, and you know, think about how UKIP has developed. You know, the party always was more than just one person. You know, yes. talking about yes. your by-election, yeah. not having local branches mm. in lots yes. of parts of the country. Yes. You know, the, the the health of local associations yes. depends very much on the individuals who are running those. So, right. but mm. you've got to have volume, and the parties work became a lot easier when it had you know thousands of people joining and yeah. getting involved and, and active. So, yeah. Does one man make a difference or one woman? Maybe. Isn't that is as far as I'll go? Right. Well, let's. let's I want to try and move on to the features, but there's a few things I want to pick up on first. Um, first of all, when Margaret said you've got to have a pint of that, she was pointing at coffee. We're not all sitting here getting hammered, just to, <laughs> just for the record. Um, a couple of other things. You, meant, you talked about a, a deluge of immigrants. Now, there are people yes. who would say that is uh, inflammatory language. What's your response to that? Well, uh, and if you like, numbers that we couldn't cope with. Okay. We couldn't but manage... But there are people who would say deluge. There are people okay. who will go immediately say deluge. And they Wrong go, word. Oh, that's, Wrong that's word. terrible language. Wrong word. Okay. Uh, you know, let me modify that. All right. A huge... I mean, Tony Blair didn't control immigration. He said, oh, hardly anyone's going to come. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. They did. And, of course, the problem was the housing, the schools the things that mattered in people's lives. They couldn't yeah. cope with it. So that was a practical situation that it caused. It's not a 
you know, against any particular one group of people. It was the sheer impracticality. They hadn't thought about it. Uh, I think finally, before we move on to the features, you mentioned the man or woman who leads UKIP. Is that you? Because Gerard Batten is going to step down. Oh, uh, where are we? Oh, I don't know. When did he become leader? <laughs> um, April. Was it? So he's going to step down well, next spring. Are you going to step up and take over from him? Uh, that's not where I want to be. Oh, we're not ruling it out. That was a, that was a definite thinking about well, it there. I want to serve the party, but yeah. I want what's best for the party. Okay. You know, if some shining um, woman on a white horse or man on a white horse comes along and they are absolutely the right person, of course, it's teamwork. Okay. You've got to work with your um, colleagues. You've got to have, really, an integrated group. And just for the, the for the record, given that we are talking about UKIP and the way they have been in recent months, yeah. you're not talking about an actual white horse. I mean, no. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody turned up on a white horse at UKIP conference. <laughs> it, There's some might. crazy they stuff might. goes on at UKIP they, conference, they which is which is they you might. know uh, part of the fun of British politics in recent well, years. Let's true. face it. Um, let's finish with the features. <laughs> best thing. Oh. Worst thing. Um, what's going to be the best thing about Brexit? The best thing is the vision to be able to take back control, uh, for people to vote for the lawmakers in Westminster. So Why? after Why? Well, I mean, because what does that after five. Mean for people? Well, I'll tell you what it means for people. If you've got some terrible uh, law that's been passed and you think, well, that didn't work for me, that you didn't think about me, chuck them out. It's called democracy. It's really, really important. If you ignore that, mm. then what are people voting for? You know, they felt sidelined by the EU. They felt, oh, that law was made in Brussels. I can't do anything about that. And of course, the political parties have hidden behind laws, gold plating and etc., <laughs> and blaming Brussels for years, to be fair. So mm. they never fessed up and said, well, actually, you know, we kind of agree with that. Right. They've never had the guts to do that. And they, they are where they are. So it's, for me, it's exciting to think about new business. And I look upon that as being able to trade with different parts of the world, be more innovative, which we can never be through the European Union. I mean, they have the, the space or the speed of a slug. They don't change. They're dinosaurs over there. Nice people, many of them, but dinosaurs, you know, they, it's, you think, well, why can't you react sensibly? Why aren't you doing more here? Why aren't you doing more there? They can't. There is something in that organisation as it stands, which is so desperate for change, but they don't know how to change. It's quite weird calling them People dinosaurs. People don't vape. Well, they are because dinosaurs. Because everyone loves dinosaurs. People well, talk about the House of Lords as being like dinosaurs. Well, I've never really is. thought about that before, but actually, Don't everyone loves dinosaurs. Um, what's going to be the worst thing about Brexit? I, I think one of the things that um, depressed me recently was the discussion about Galileo. Hmm. And here is something that we've contributed financially to. This um, is the satellite programme. Yeah, and we've, you know, and, and also being able to work together for the security of each and every one of our citizens. I, I, I kind of think that should be above politics, but nevertheless, it's not. Mm. It should be. Um, not to be able to come together on practicalities, I find that depressing about Brexit. Okay, and finally, it's... In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. 
recommendations for how to understand Brexit. Let's start with you, Margot. What should I read, watch, listen to? Where do I go? I mean, everybody wants to understand this. We yeah. want to understand it better. Is there an easy way or uh, uh, something in- that sums it all up? There's an interesting way. I don't know if you saw Brexit the movie. No. Right. Well, that was a very... Well, that was funded. It, it was produced by a very good documentary maker. And it was funded by all sorts of people. You know, people said, well, I'll send you £1,000. I think they okay. needed to raise £100,000. So all sorts of people said, I will, I'll put money into that yeah. to get it. And it was quite, I thought it was quite well done. What is it? It's a documentary? Yeah. Simon, yet another recommendation from you, Simon. What have you got for us? The perils of being a repeat. I know. It's it's visual. It's a piece of art. Oh, you sent me this bit of art. It's more So it looks. This is a piece of art in the the German, uh, the Frankfurt Museum of Modern Art. Yes. It's a darkened room. Yes. It's just like a square of ultraviolet lights. But when you go up to it, you try and touch it. it, It's not actually there. And then you can put your hand in, and it doesn't have any dimensions, and you can't see how. It's very disconcerting. So it's all about the uncertainty of what you're looking at and yes. the, the shapes and the dimensions which is Heavy. a nice metaphor for Brexit Whoa. so it's called Twilight Arch by an American artist uh, James Turrell um, you can see it still uh, in Frankfurt, in, in Frankfurt mm-hmm. uh, and I thoroughly recommend it um, yeah, yeah there you are go and see it Culture. before next March when you'll need a visa to get over there to see it <laughs> nonsense nonsense <laughs> So there you go, a senior UKIP politician speaking nonsense. Only joking, she was just saying the word nonsense in response to my provocation. Uh, lots of fun in that podcast. I trialled the name Chukip on the House of Commons Terrace the other night, and I can tell you it got a very positive response. I sincerely hope that will catch on. If you're a journalist and you've listened this far, the lines you want to focus on are... Margot's reference to a deluge of immigrants and her describing Giva Hofstadt as a lunatic federalist poncing around Europe. You can say this for UKIP politicians. They always give you something to talk about. The Irish border stuff might get the experts a bit hot under the collar too. Um, Kitty Hayward is uh, the foremost expert on the Northern Ireland issue, I should say. Uh, I dread to think what her face would look like if she were to listen to Margot's views on that. Uh, Also interesting we got mention of Switzerland because the last episode of course we had Henrietta Engberson from the Swiss state broadcaster on talking about the uh, Swiss border issue and it's fair to say what she said in the last episode and what Margot said in this episode conflicts slightly. You can take your pick about which one you trust more. It was a cracking chat. Uh, I did make reference to a Rami with uh, John Curtis in there. You'll have to wait a few weeks for that because that episode is recorded, but it won't be going out uh, till next month. Next up is a Brexit comedian coming your way in a fortnight to tie in with the start of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch about any of the things in that podcast... And let's face it, there was lots. You can get me at Political Yeti on Twitter or go to my website, james-miller.com and leave a message there and I will uh, respond. 
If you want to get in touch with UK and Changing Europe, they are at UK and EU on Twitter and their website is UK and EU ac.uk and you can find all the previous podcasts there the music this week has again been requiem for a fish by the freak fandango orchestra i've been james miller this has been the brexit breakdown podcast brought to you by uk in a changing europe supported by king's college london and supported and funded by the economic and social research council come back in two weeks for another episode thank you and goodbye